0: Missouri lawmakers are coming back to Jefferson City for veto session. And it's an open question whether this week will be a marathon or a sprint out the door. The Journal Gang talks about all the possible angles on the latest edition of Politically Speaking.
1: Nine, eight, eight seven, six,
0: six five, five
1: three, four, three, 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 two, one.
2: Uh, I think that is fair As to say. As I say, say
1: hands to kiss and babies to shake. <laughs> but, uh, you know,
2: I think my record speaks for itself. It's
0: a really good question. Hello and welcome to the Politically Speaking Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Rosenbaum, a reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. Joining me in our beautiful St. Louis studios this afternoon is...
2: Joe Manis, Anthra- St. Louis Public Radio.
0: Sorry about that, Joe. <laughs> it's been a long night. And, for, and using the magic of radio from Jefferson City, we have...
1: Marshall Griffin.
0: Thank you for joining us. We're going to go a little old school, go back to our roots, (laughs) so to speak. We're going to just talk amongst ourselves about Veto Session, which is Wednesday. correct? And, um, you know, unlike, I think, the past couple of Veto Sessions, there's really only, I think, about two or three things that are really popping up at the surface that could become big battles. In the last two or three, there have been like Ten or fifteen bills that end up getting overridden, Marshall. How do you feel like this veto session is different from the last couple
1: of years? Well, for starters, uh, Tim Jones is not the speaker, so I, I don't expect uh, any. I don't expect Todd Richardson to be, you know, swinging for the bleachers like uh, Tim Jones did and trying to get a record number of uh, of veto overrides. Um, I do think there will, at this point, it's hard. It's hard for me to predict how many there will be. I do think there will be maybe two, three, or four, or maybe five, um, but I don't. Attempts. I don't see the record-setting yeah. number of, of, of veto overrides happening like um, like there was under Tim Jones.
0: I I would probably agree with that, Joe. What do you think are going to be the marquee things? Obviously, right to work comes to mind because it, if it does get overridden, that's a huge policy change for labor unions, but. There's a lot of skepticism about whether they can get it out of the House.
2: Yes, I think it's, that's true. The word is right now the House doesn't have the 109 votes needed. They were 17 votes short during the final passage. And while there's been a lot of pressure uh, from both sides, so far that number of votes, I'm told, hasn't changed much, if at all. Now, that said, whereas Speaker new Speaker Todd Richardson has been has not said yet whether he's going to bring it up, but from what i've heard from everybody including a number of right to work advocates they want the bill brought up whether or not they've got the count or not because. similar
0: to the tax cut in 2013 right.
2: and so they want to know which republicans did not switch their votes and they're going to and allegedly they're going to be targeted and one signal of that is that there was a new group a new political action committee that was formed um, just in the last couple of days and uh, it's got a it's called um, uh, the Committee for Accountability in Missouri Government. And so far, I haven't been able to get anybody on the phone to talk about it. It's based in Kansas City. But David Humphreys, wealthy uh, businessman in Joplin, who also is a big Right to Work proponent, put in 500 big ones uh, today.
0: Yep, saw as,
2: that. As we're, as we're recording. So the, there's a lot of suspicion that this group is being set up to, as a signal to the Republicans who don't support right to work that they may run into some political problems next year. Now, in the contrast, republican I mean, Democrats held a huge rally in Jefferson County on Saturday. Labor unions did. And one of the reasons I think they picked Jefferson County because that's get another place where you had Republican legislators who voted, sided with them. And so they wanted, I think, to show support, but also it's a little bit of pressure too. Yeah, but I wanted to
0: ask a question I don't think has been asked a lot. Um, Last year, there was a pretty public falling out between labor unions and some black elected officials and black contractors in St. Louis County. And obviously, that came to a head when a lot of you know, municipal officials endorsed Stream over Stenger, Rick Stream and the Republican versus Steve Stenger, the Democrat, who's now the county executive. Do you think it's possible that, especially if the, they do get enough Republicans to flip, that maybe they could convince some African-American Democrats from St. Louis County who are disenchanted with labor right now to be the deciding votes to get it to the Senate?
2: Well, I think there's enough money behind the scenes that is being promise for campaign um, that I think that's going to be discouraged a bit. Plus, Congressman Lacey Clay, who gets a lot of money from labor and who is definitely anti-right to work uh, and is the most powerful African-American official in the St. Louis area, the word is that his, his office is also making clear that they should not do that but what
0: about like lawmakers that don't like congressman clay and feel no allegiance to him? like the the one that comes to mind is representative courtney curtis who actually sponsored right to work for construction unions he voted present i believe and he's only one person but imagine if they got three or four of them and they're four republican votes short that gets to the senate
2: yeah i mean i think there's always that possibility but i would be surprised only because there's some other issues that getting caught up in the whole veto session. And I think that because tempers are rising high, especially with the Ferguson Commission report coming out, um, there's going to be some splits over that. I don't know. I mean, it'll be something to watch, but I would be surprised if you had many deep Democratic defections. They might vote present, but I I can't imagine them voting yes.
0: Marshall, what's kind of your sense on where this bill is in the House right now? Joe just alluded to the fact that some Republican insiders don't believe they can get to 109. Is that
1: your indication as well? Uh, so far it is as well. I, I don't see it getting to 109. But here's the thing, and I maybe you should have mentioned this earlier in the podcast, but um, uh, when you asked me how many bills you think might get overridden, uh, that number could also just easily be zero um, because of one thing, and that is the Senate. Uh, you may, you, you probably remember, and a lot of you listening to this might remember that the the final week of session, the uh, Senate Democrats shut down the uh, that chamber over the right to work issue because of the uh, the uh, PQ that uh, happened in order to force a vote on right to work in the Senate. A lot of angry senators over that. Uh, Scott Sifton pretty much led the charge in slowing down activity in the Senate. Now, what we don't know yet, and I've been trying to trying to find out uh, by Wednesday, hopefully, actually trying to find out uh, today, is whether or not that slowdown is going to continue through veto session. Um, haven't heard anything on that yet, but it's very possible that uh, that Senate Democrats could just continue to slow everything down and guarantee that uh, that that there are no overrides that take place, even. If, Even if the House overrides something, the Senate might just, you know, crawl along and nothing happen.
0: Joe, what do you think about that?
1: Yeah,
2: I think it's a possibility. I I saw Sifton a couple weeks ago at a Democratic event, and he was kind of noncommittal. But I think especially now that he's not running for Missouri Attorney General, so he's running to stay in his current job in the Senate, I think he is going to try to um, bolster his already image as a major filibusterer in the Senate on the Democratic side, so I wouldn't be surprised if that happened, Um, but that will only be if stuff passes the House, I mean the stuff that started in the House, and on Right to Work, if there's no 109 votes, then it dies there anyway.
0: But the unspoken thing, and I've mentioned this about 600 times on the last few shows, is if a Republican becomes the next governor, let's say Peter Kinder becomes the next governor of Missouri, it's kind of fait accompli that right to Correct. work will happen. Like, They will put that bill in and they will try to get it through as quickly as possible. They'll PQ it to the Dickens. I mean, is that kind of an incentive for Labor not to necessarily slack off in the next gubernatorial election, Joe?
2: Oh, I think that's definitely true. And I think that's why Koster, who has been sort of low-key lately, Missouri Attorney General currently the only major Democrat running and he has yet to have his formal kickoff, but he's running. Okay. So he, he was at the uh, labor event Saturday and was, you know, revving up the troops. And I wasn't there because I was at with the Republicans, as was Jason. But the uh, fact is that I think uh, labor and coster are, are going to be sort of joined at the hip for the next... Uh, Year and a half, and
0: it's not really like an unlikely pairing. I think no. he's been pro labor since the beginning of his career. I think he and Jimmy Hoffa Jr. are friends from childhood or something like that. Like the labor connection to Coster goes pretty deep, and it, it, it's it's probably predates his elected office. So,
2: but but all the republic all the major Republican candidates for governor have made it clear that they support right to work. Uh, including Kinder, who's been among the more outspoken, yeah. but Catherine Hannaway, Eric Greitens, who hasn't announced yet, but is supposed to do so. Have we heard from Eric Greitens have... on
0: Right to Work? Yes, War? yes. He's for it? Yes. Okay. Well, then that solves that.
2: Yes. He put out a statement some time back. So I, I think that the Republicans and Democrats will be making it a key division issue. Now, the Republicans are bolstered by private polls that they say show... That a majority of missouri voters support right to work but of course it depends on how and i'm talking about both sides here it depends how polls how the questions are are written depending on what the response is but and you've got donors Uh, i mean most of the major republican donors definitely want right to work but so did
0: but the the major democratic donors don't want right yes
2: but what, what but but for democrats it's labor for the Republicans, it's yeah. several key businessmen who can put in. I
0: I understand who that can put in mucho and I, bucks, and I don't disagree with that. But that point gets brought up a lot, and we do need to point out that labor gives an enormous amount of money to Democrats and some Republicans. So it's the money is kind of going both ways here. And not only could they give money, they can give organizational muscle for election just by having their members go door to door for people. So labor is no slouch when it no. comes to an organization. No, but, tool. It,
2: but if the, some of the major Republican donors really band together, they can put in more money.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, the other big ticket item, at least to me, is this bill that bans plastic bag bans. I hope I said that right. And also would banish or banish or get rid of local minimum wage hikes. Now, this is an issue I've been following closely because the city of St. Louis just raised the minimum wage to eleven dollars an hour by twenty eighteen. Kansas City did a similar bill, I believe it's two thousand twenty to thirteen dollars an hour. And I'm not gonna bore you with the legal minutiae, like it's gonna go to court no matter what, and it's unclear like how this particular bill will affect it if it gets overridden. But, Marshall, are you hearing that that is going to be brought up? Because I've talked with several Democrats, and they feel that that bill could not only be brought up, but it has a decent chance of being overridden as well.
1: Well, I haven't talked to directly any lawmakers, but I've talked to one of the major supporters, Ray McCarty from Associated Industries of Missouri, and he's pretty confident that not only will it be brought up, but that it will be overridden successfully. And uh, he he basically went on to say that uh, you know the le- the legality of the uh, minimum wage votes in both St. Louis and Kansas City um, are very questionable because uh, his his position when uh, talking to me was that. Uh, State law trumps local ordinances, I guess, borrowing the argument that federal law trumps state law. And, uh, again,
0: not to get too much in the weeds, but a lot of uh, proponents of this particular bill point to another statute that was actually passed in 1998. So this is when the Democrats were in charge, for our listeners, that also banned local minimum wage increases. There's some ambiguity about whether that statute is still active, but if it is, then— it probably would knock down the minimum wage increases, regardless of whether this bill passes or fails. But continue, Marshall.
1: Yeah. Well, actually, that was pretty much my point. <laughs> well, I'm sorry <laughs> to steal your point. <laughs> so. No problem. Um,
0: but uh, yeah, it's it's kind of interesting. From a, I guess, if you're really into the legal machinations of of bills, this this entire episode is kind of like a thesis on that. Um, but I think that again, regardless of what happens with this particular bill, those two local minimum wage increases that I mentioned on the outset are probably going to court, and it's going to be up to fancier people than me to decide their legality. The other thing that I've, I've heard could be brought up is something dealing with the A plus scholarship
1: program. Marshall, what do you know about that? Uh, I, I can tell you that there's a good bit of there's a good bit of support. I want to say, and. I'm gonna move over here to my computer real quick and uh-oh, you're you're, you're
0: pulling a Donald Trump and <laughs> going to the computer to help you that's on your right. talk
1: That's right, po- yeah. Except I don't have his hair, <laughs> thankfully. You know, th- this um, is like
0: the third podcast where I've insulted Donald Trump. I feel I fear that he's gonna listen to this and then tweet at me, and then I'm never gonna be able to use my phone again. But that's <laughs> delusions of grandeur right there. And it's also stalling while you. Will you get the computer up? So that's right. Well, well and well, um, there's
2: also talk. I'll stall too. Is that there may be another bill that has to do with I think brokers? Uh, there's been I've heard some talk that there's uh, that, that there there may be an effort by the General Assembly to veto to override the governor's veto of that bill. It has to do with uh, some f- um, financial um, how much financial information is supposed to be given to clients. It's complicated, but I'm hearing that there may be some effort um, to override the governor's veto of that bill.
0: Yeah, a lot of money in the financial industry and bankers that usually goes to politicians. So,
2: yeah, one of the interesting things is veto session will not have, there won't be attempted vetoes of line item vetoes in the budget because virtually their practice, there weren't any except for one, and that was just for technical wording, which they are fixed or are planning to fix. So it's not like previous years where they went after all these uh, line-item vetoes the governor did on um, spending in the budget. So
0: we won't get to see Amendment 10 in action, essentially. Correct. Mm-hmm. So we will have to be another year. Marshall, have you fired up your computer yet?
1: I have, and I will tell you this. What I'm seeing here is um, from the uh, truly agreed and finally passed House vote on Senate Bill 224. Uh, they fell one vote short of having a veto-proof majority. Uh, but there were also, um, I would say, roughly uh, 16 senators who were absent with leave. So that will you come mean into senators play. senators or House members? Uh, House members. Yeah. So I know this is a Senate bill. It will start, you know, the veto override attempt will, of course, start there. But uh, in the House, it's, it may have a fairly good chance of getting overridden. And maybe another thing to point out is that this could be uh, this bill could serve as a uh, you know election year litmus test as uh, next year of course is uh, House and Senate races along with governor and president and a bunch of other races.
0: It, that would definitely be the case. I could definitely see that bill being put in a lot of mailers if certain vulnerable Democrats vote against it. Um just as I could see people who vote for right to work being, targeted by labor unions are the opposite from the yeah. David huntry groups.
2: Yes, and I want a little interesting thing. Um all three of us were involved in uh putting together a package that ran a few days ago on our site and on the radio about the climate in Jefferson City and um the treatment of women and interns, etc. and we mentioned in there that there were several fundraisers planned for the night before. Well, since that story uh, uh, came out there have been some people who have actually done a count and just for the record from what i understand tuesday and wednesday aside from whatever little vote they do there's are supposed to be more than a hundred more than a hundred fundraisers how is that planned. even
0: possible like where are they going to find enough housing in jefferson city to have all these fundraisers or don't you, know are they going to just
1: have them in groups or something
2: or like maybe that? on the street i don't know groups, are, are they gonna, waves um, in the yeah, parks. That,
1: that's that is a very good question uh, since i live in jefferson city i can tell you there's it's going to be interesting to see if they can find that many venues are they going to come so. to your
0: house marshall and, and fundraise <laughs> no. or something like that
1: or maybe no, they'll afraid, be at the corner of the stop
2: signs <laughs> with the cans out like like the firefighters uh, well do. i do want to
0: kind of talk about that for a little bit as we kind of trail off into silliness here um you know, the culture of Jefferson City, and I, I use that as a catch-all term to talk about how women are treated, specifically in the state capitol, as well as just the atmosphere in general. The
2: party atmosphere. I mean,
0: it's been talked about a lot since John Deal and Paula Voda stepped down for, for, you know, after charges of sexual harassment. Different situations, but still kind of in the same vein. And
2: they involved interns.
0: And I think that after we wrote those articles and they came out, the, the big question that a lot of people had was, okay, we've, we've clearly have on record not only us, but other outlets of, of women who feel like they've been severely mistreated in the Missouri Capitol, and it's been going on for decades. The question is, how are legislators going to put a process in place that's going to change the status quo? And are they actually going to commit to this after a lot of the media coverage dies down and we forget about Deal and Lavotus sagas? Uh, Joe, what do you think about that?
2: I don't think much is going to happen. I mean, I, I just don't. I mean, they, they may put in some procedures in place or some sort of um, agency or something in place to be offer some guidance to interns, male and female, if they run into problems in the Capitol. Because Missouri capital isn't the only state capital where you've run into problems of interns being targeted for either harassment or sexual come ons, that sort of thing. But I don't foresee a major change. What about you, Jason? You've talked to a number of people, too.
0: Well, I mean, I'm just pessimistic by nature. And this really shouldn't be like something that we're pessimistic about. It is 2015 and people, especially men, should know better that it's not appropriate to sexually harass women in a professional setting anymore. As we've talked to Gloria Brown and you know Vicki England and other people who are in the private sector, this type of behavior would get somebody fired pretty quickly or at least severely reprimanded. And I think that the point that Kelly Schultz, a former legislative aide who wor- who has worked in and around uh, the Capitol for a long time pointed out, is that there needs to be a structure in place for interns to be able to complain or to, you know, say what happened to them. There needs to be peer-to-peer accountability, which means legislators have to hold other legislators accountable, and there has to be actual repercussions if there, there are actions. Um, or if they There have to be repercussions if they find out that the accusation is accurate. And what she pointed out is You know, they're unfortunately, and this is really distressing, that interns, staffers, lobbyists who make these types of claims of sexual harassment can have their careers ruined because a lot of the people who are presumably doing the harassing hold a lot of power in what goes on in Jefferson City. So I think if they are able to develop a culture and a structure to where that changes and there is accountability. And there is a a mechanism for victims of sexual harassment to get restitution. Then I think things could eventually change. But Marshall, what do you think?
1: Well, um, I, I don't see any. I don't see anything happening or coming out of this as far as any concrete rules or or laws or changes at, for two reasons. Number one, um, if any proposed changes are are looped into the uh, the overall ethics issue, and it gets tied to, you know, it gets tied to uh, other other ethics bills or other ethics um, proposals. You know, whether it's you know limiting, you know, putting limits on what lobbyists and uh, lawmakers can do as far as relationship wise, or how many. Um, hold on, strike that when you go back. And uh, there's two reasons uh, I don't think anything will come of it. Number one. Um, if this issue with the uh, interns gets tied with other ethics issues, say the amount of time a lawmaker has to wait before he can become a lobbyist or you know whether campaign contribution limits come into it, anything that would improve the treatment of, of young women in the Capitol would be lost and swallowed up in all of that and nothing would come of it. Secondly, I think a lot of maybe a lot of behind the scenes talk will be all of this negative publicity should serve as as warning enough, and will that could be used as an excuse to not really you know do anything now these um we've heard that they that the recommendations as far as uh you know any new intern policy could also be released uh, on Wednesday during veto session that was one thing that i heard i I haven't heard whether or not that's still going to be the case or not. I heard something but similar, I, yeah. Yeah, but I, I don't, at this point, I, I, I'll i believe it when I see it as far as if there's any uh, any House or Senate rules or even state law that, uh, that addresses uh, what happened here this year.
2: One little note, um, the Missouri Attorney General's Office, just so people know, uh, we got the opinion today, and uh, they're saying that to override the governor, the House will still need 109 votes, and the Senate will still need 23, regardless of any vacancies. Uh-huh. And that could cause a little um, kerfluffle in the Senate where some have been contending that they would need fewer votes, uh, let's say for a right to work override or something else, because they have two vacancies. And
0: it's looking more and more likely that those seats may not be filled until 2017, which means the people in part of St. Charles County and part of Jackson County will not have a state senator for about 17 or 18 months. So... Not saying that's a good or a bad thing. I'm just stating a potential fact.
1: <laughs> and uh, if I can throw in here as well, that could off- also obviously affect any veto override attempt in the Senate only of House Bill 150, which is uh, which was overridden in the uh, House during the regular session. Governor Nixon has contended that uh, the Senate doesn't have the legal authority. You're talking about the unemployment, uh, unemployment uh, yeah, bill. because yeah, unemployment, yes, yeah. the unemployment compensation bill that would uh, that could limit. Um, benefits to 13 weeks if the uh, unemployment rate is uh, below 6%. Yeah, Yeah, because
2: the House acted during the regular session. The Senate did not because of the aforementioned um, shutdown.
1: Yeah.
0: All right, we're going to pull the plug on this podcast. We've had too much fun, and uh, Joe and Marshall are going to be in Jefferson City on Wednesday, hopefully Mm -hmm. having more fun watching (laughs) a filibuster for the next seven years over Right to More fun and less sleep. Um, well, sleep is overrated. I, I know this as a father of a 20-month-old. For all of our stories, stlpublicradio.org. Follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. You can follow Joe on Twitter at... J
2: Manus, It's J-M-A-N-N-I-E-S. And
0: you can follow Marshall on Twitter at... Marshall G. Report. Thank
1: you very much. Until next time, so long.